All right, if you got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6, but we're going to be in multiple different places. This is kind of an abnormal message um, for me. Normally, we're in one pretty standard passage with some supporting scripture. We'll also be um, a good little portion in Deuteronomy 8, but we'll... um, uh, also have it on the screen. It'll be in your outline. Um, if you have a version Bible app, I'm in the CSB, so you can follow along word for word. Um, and once, as Phil said, we've got group link today. I'm excited about that. It's going to be a little bit different. Um, and so I'm excited for those who have signed up. And I think there's probably a little bit of extra, um, you know, food and all for those that maybe didn't, or if you're new and want to kind of check things out as far as what groups look like. Um, so you can be a part of that. Um, but I want you th- today to imagine a woman marrying a man who has already been successful maybe in business and investments, and um, he has done really well for himself. And so she marries into that situation, and um, he's very generous to her. He takes care of her. He meets all of her needs, um, all of the resources that he has. He has um, essentially um, entrusted to her. Um, He asks her even um, because uh, he loves her and he tr- treats her like a queen. And some of you ladies might have a sugar daddy like that. I don't know. But, um, but he basically communicates to her that um, if she wants to express her love to him, one of the ways that she can do that is to take the resources that he has earned and that he has been very successful with and to manage them well. So what he's saying is, I love you and trust you so much that I am placing all of the success that I have, all of these resources, and I'm placing them into your care to manage and to manage well. And by doing so, you're going to express to me how much you love me. Now, she tells her husband that she loves him. Um, She'll even sometimes post that on Facebook publicly, and all of her friends think she's so sweet. Don't you find it interesting that when guys do something like that, they think that, uh, or, or women will say that about the husband, they think that the wife has been um, uh, hacked or the husband's gotten the phone, but uh, guys can say it about their wives and it's like, oh yeah, she's so sweet and she's beautiful inside and out. And guys don't get that. Guys don't get like, you know, he's handsome inside and out. And you don't get that. If a, if a wife or a girlfriend posted about her significant other, whether it be her boyfriend or husband, is like, oh, he got her phone, and it, check it out. I mean, I'm, it's it's we guys talk about it all the time, but but so the friends feel that it is sweet, and um, it's it's this on the surface they see her as being this committed wife, and she publicly makes this spectacle of loving her husband. But when it comes to honoring him honoring her husband by managing the resources the way that he would desire and the way that he asked for her to do so, there's a problem. She uses his resources, those that he has entrusted to her, to buy gifts for another man and to build up his home. Her husband is generous and good to her, but she's unfaithful to him. We would look at that and we say, well, that's kind of far-fetched, but I know there's some really crazy stories that people have experienced where we would look and go, may not be far-fetched. It might sound more like a lifetime TV show or some, one of those soap operas that play during the day, you know, as the world turns or something like that. You might say, I don't know of any situation that would 
be like that, but I could look at that hypothetical scenario and go, that's not loving, that, that's not honoring to him. It's very unlikely, but that's not very different in how we approach our relationship with God oftentimes when it comes to our generosity. Today, you'll see on your outline that we're talking about being generous stewards. That word steward means manager. So as I go through today and you hear that word manager, it's the same word as steward, being a steward. What this husband was asking of his wife was to be a good manager, a good steward of the resources that he had entrusted to her care. And so we look at this scenario and we go, that's kind of far-fetched, that's kind of crazy. But if we look at how some Christians approach that relationship with God, we would say, actually, it sounds a lot like many of us. Today's message is not to condemn anyone. In fact, it's to challenge us to be more loving and to be more um, honoring of God in every aspect of our life. We're here not pointing fingers at anybody. We're not here condemning or beating anybody down. But we're here together to go, let's look at Scripture and let's do what Scripture calls us to do. Let's be who Scripture calls us to be. Because as we see even in Romans, we're called to be a living sacrifice giving our whole selves over to him. That's our labor. That's our time. That's everything about us. And that is our genuine worship. And so today, at the end of the message, you must decide and you will make a decision for yourself either today or maybe down the road. Maybe you'll kind of mull over this. Maybe you'll do some more study of scripture. But at some point, you must make a decision in your life whether you're going to view yourself as the owner or the, the manager. The owner or the steward? Now, at New Passion, we call our members owners, and so we're not talking about that. In that, we're talking about taking ownership of the church, and we've talked about some of the aspects of taking ownership of the church throughout this series, but we're talking about the resources that have been entrusted to us by God. Do we view ourselves as the owner of those resources, or do we view ourselves as the manager, because your answer will determine the direction of your life and at which depth you will truly worship and love God. You can write this down. God blesses us so we can be generous. God blesses us so we can be generous. To be generous means um, it, it shows a readiness to give more of something as money or time than is strictly necessary or expected. So being generous isn't just saying, hey, I'm going to uh, just meet the needs, although that is, a, um, that, that is a, a call of generosity, but it's saying, hey, I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to be sacrificial in this way. I'm going to do more than's necessary. I'm going to do more than what is expected. So, so why is it that God calls Christians to make the local church to be the primary vehicle of their generosity? Now, that doesn't mean that he, he, he's not okay with you giving to outside organizations and other ministry organizations and things like that. I had that conversation with a lady this week that I met doing some chaplain work, and we had a great conversation on the difference between that. Um, um, and I, I kind of told her in a nutshell, you know, you don't go eat at Cracker Barrel, but pay Longhorn for your meal. Like God uses the local church, and so you invest in the local church primarily for the advancement of the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel. The gospel is the power unto salvation, and so that is the vehicle by which he uses. It's not this structure, and it's not this building, but it's the people. And so it's the empowering, it's the equipping of the people to go about and doing that work. This just happens to be a tool and a resource. 
And so he uses the generosity of his people to not only help advance the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel, but to provide these tools and resources like facilities, curriculum, um, you know, uh, equipment, supplies, all of that to equip us and to help us to better do the work. This building is a resource. It is a training ground. It is a ministry center. It is simply a place that we can gather to do Bible studies, to hear the preaching of the word, to gather in corporate worship so that we can lift our voices in praise of God. But it is not the church. You are the church, and we are called to equip you to do the work of the kingdom, to do the work of the gospel. And so that is the other reason why, is for the local ministry, our children's ministries, our student ministries, um, the, the small groups, all of those things that we do. It's to provide the staffing to help equip um, the saints, to help equip the Christians to do those things, to help lead those ministries and to do those things. It's for global missions, for, um, uh, to send the gospel and to send people to go do the work that maybe you can't do. Maybe God has you doing a totally different um, career or a totally different ministry, and so that's what God's called you to do, and you're being faithful to that. You're a nurse, you're a soldier, you're an IT professional or something along those lines. And so you're being faithful to what God has set before you and your assignment. But there are other people who feel called to take the gospel to foreign mission fields and they're willing to go. And so through your generosity, you help send them to do that work. Or it might be places you don't want to go because it's maybe out of fear or danger or things like that. We've had people who it wasn't necessarily they didn't want to go but they couldn't go to, say, Mission Baltimore, but they help fund other people who can go, who can take the time off or whatever that situation might be. So it's missions, it's ministry, it's staffing, it's curriculum, equipment, supplies, facilities. It is all for the sake of advancing the kingdom of God and advancing the message of the gospel. And the role that you choose, whether it be today or at some point this week or down the road, the role that you choose, whether it be owner or manager, will determine how you view those things and will determine the importance of those things in your life. We have to start with Genesis 1-1 because it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, you, you go, what does, that, what does that have to do with generosity? Well, in verse 26 of chapter 1, God created man in his own image. In verse 28, and then in chapter 2, verse 15, man is given the responsibility to work the land and to watch over it, to care for it. And so from the earliest scriptures, what we see is that God owns everything. He is creator, he is owner, and he is authority over all things, including mankind. I've been wrestling around with this desire to do a a Bible study and to put a a study together for some of the things that we see in our culture, because you can go all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, 3, and, and you can solve a lot of the problems, a lot of the temptations, a lot of the myths, and a lot of the lies that we see in our culture simply by going back to the fact that God is creator, he is owner, and he is authority. We see that from the earliest scripture. We see that all things belong to him, even mankind. He created us in his image. And then we see that he simply said, I'm going to place you over these things and I want you to work it and I want you to care for it. I'm going to make you manager over those things. But they're my things because I've given you instructions. And we see that when they didn't follow those instructions, what happened? Why? Because God is creator, he is owner, and he is authority. 
And so when they disobeyed the owner, the creator, and the authority, there were consequences. They were not God, and they were not just given free reign to do what they wanted to do. There were consequences for not following the creator, the owner, and the authority. We see, in the, we see the psalmist say this same thing. The, uh, Psalm 24, 1. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. You're an inhabitant. We are a part of the world. We're a part of the solar system. The earth and everything in it, all of it belongs to him. If you grew up in church, you may have remember the nursery rhyme. He's got the whole world in his hands. Well, if he's got the whole world in his hands, he's owner. Because you ain't got the whole world in your hands. You ain't that big. You ain't that powerful. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is owner. He is creator. He is authority over all things. And so from the beginning of time, he has said that mankind, we humans, are to manage that which he owns. We are to steward it well. We are to care for it all. Moses gave this warning to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 to 14, and then I'm just going to jump to 17 and 18, but you can, um, you can go read some of the things from verse 15 and 16 later about um, where Moses goes on and shares what, with the Israelites. It's just a reminder of the things that God has done. We've talked about them over the last couple of weeks. So for time, I'm just reading these scriptures, but it says this, be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commands, ordinances, and statutes that I'm giving you today. When you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in, and your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold multiply, and everything else you have increases, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. Moses here is warning the Israelites that prosperity and possessions could lead them to forget God. He had delivered them multiple times. He had provided for them through many difficulties. We, we saw the, we've seen the grumbling. We've seen the complaining. We've seen them at the Red Sea. We saw them when they didn't have food or water. We've seen all of those things. We saw how God delivered for them over and over and over again. But despite that, he's telling them that their success could lead them to become prideful, thinking that their own power and their own abilities is what has provided their wealth for them what has provided their possessions for them, what has provided um, all that they have. Verse 18, he goes on and he says, but remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you go back and look at the Israelites, you will see that there is no reason that they should be wealthy. There's no reason that God should provide for them. There's no reason that they should prosper. I mean, if anything, if we've seen up to this point, um, they should have all been destroyed. They should have all been you know, just uh, left to rot away. We know that God provided and he, he kept a covenant with a small remnant who were faithful. And we see that, that God honors faith. He honors obedience. He honors trust in him. And that's why this group is here. And now they're being told, hey, remember what God has done, but don't forget him and don't get prideful thinking that you did it your power, and your ability, that you've achieved this on your own. It's God who provides the oxygen for you to breathe and for you to live. 
It's God who provides you the ability to comprehend in order to learn new skills and new abilities to be able to work in order to earn an income. He provides everything. We can look around and there are people who, um, it does not mean that they're any less blessed, but when we look from a physical standpoint, some of you have it much easier physical than some other people because maybe they were born with a deformity or a, um, a handicap or something, a disability that makes it more difficult for them. I've seen some people who were born with no arms and no legs who can do just about everything that you can do with all of your limbs because of the determination and trust in God. Um, I, I won't get his name right, but his first name's Nick Vucicic, I believe. Yeah. And I met him in person and the, the dude's phenomenal. He, he's an amazing guy who, who, who was born less blessed from a physical standpoint, from our perspective, and yet God's given him the determination and the strength to be able to do what he needs to do. But you don't have that setback. You don't have that additional challenge. For some, they have a learning disability. Um, for some, it's harder to retain information and things like that, but yet God's allowed you to be able to retain things, to learn things. Some of you are very smart. Some of you are very wise. God gave you that ability. Why? So you can do what you need to do to provide for yourself, to earn an income, to earn a living, to be successful. It all comes from God. So the moment we get prideful and we think that we've done something, we've taken our eyes off of God and, and essentially make ourselves God. We think somehow our wisdom and our abilities and our power, just like Moses was warning the Israelites, is what has placed us in the position that it's placed us in. You didn't choose where you were going to be born. You didn't choose what family you were going to be born into. You could have been born in a poverty-stricken country where you, um, in India, in the slums, there are fathers uh, had a pastor who went to do mission work there. And, and he, he told of a father who would take dirt and mix it in with a little bit of oil in a frying pan just to give his children something to eat, to put on their stomach because they were starving and they had nothing. That could have been you. That could have been you. That could have been how you were raised and how, where you were born into. But God in his sovereignty allowed you to be born in the greatest country, the most prosperous country ever. You didn't do that. You didn't, you didn't choose to be born into the family that you were born into or into the financial situation that you were born into. And our kids weren't either. My kids have it much easier than I did. Much easier. They're blessed. But they didn't have anything to do with that. They didn't have anything to do with who, where they were born, what they were born into. God owns everything. He provides everything. And Luke 12, 48 tells us this, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. So in my scenario with the wife, she had been entrusted with all the resources of the husband there was a great expectation. There was a great responsibility. Jesus is telling us the same thing. For those who have been blessed with much, there is much required. For, for those who have been entrusted with, uh, with much, even more will be expected. I would say this as American Christians, compared to the rest of the world, there is much that God would expect of us. There is much that would be required of us. And I believe one day when we stand before God, we will come to realize that maybe we weren't as good managers or good stewards according to how he has blessed us and provided for us than what we think. We live in the wealthiest, 
greatest country ever known to man. And that means there's great responsibility. There's great expectation from our God. You can write this down. The more God blesses us, the more he expects from us. The more God blesses us, the more he expects from us. God doesn't expect equal giving, but he does expect equal sacrifice. He tells us at whatever level that you have been resourced, there's an equal level of responsibility for how you manage those resources. So the more he has blessed you, there's a greater responsibility for that stewardship, for, for managing those resources well. And so for some, that might look um, totally different. It might look totally greater and totally more than someone who's on a lower spectrum. It doesn't mean God's blessings are any less. It just means what that looks like from a physical standpoint is different. And so the resources he has provided you for, he calls you to equal sacrifice and an equal responsibility based on simply what he has provided for you. He doesn't call you to um, be as resourceful or as um, responsible for someone who makes a lot more money than you, who has a lot more uh, material possessions than you. He calls you to be faithful and to, have, uh, to be sacrificial and to be responsible for what he has entrusted to you. That's it. That's it. That's what he calls you to. Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. There are people who have been generous to this church, and I could never be as generous as they are to this church, but based on how God has blessed me through the church and through the chaplain work that I do and other opportunities that I have, I can be just as sacrificial in what God has blessed me with as they have been in what God has blessed them with. It's not the dollar figure, it's the sacrifice, and it's the managing of what God has provided for me. And so God isn't against us having nice things. He told the Israelites, when you've eaten and are full, he's okay with you having enough food to provide for your hunger. When you build beautiful houses to live in, he's okay with you living in a beautiful house. He says, when your herds and flocks grow larger, when your silver and gold multiply and everything you else you possess increases, he, he, he said, that's okay. But what did he say after that? He said, be careful. Be careful, because that's where the temptation comes in. Be careful, because that's when you can take your eyes off of God, and you can start thinking really highly about yourself, and you can start being puffed up with pride yourself, thinking, I did this. My ability, my power. You forget where you were before those herds and flocks increased. You, you forgot where you were the, the, the days that you were wondering where you were going to put a meal on your table, or maybe your parents were going to put a meal on the table. You forgot those days, and all of a sudden, your possessions increase, things are successful, and all of a sudden, you start thinking highly of yourself, and I did this, and we can forget God. He's not against nice things, but he is against things taking his place in your life and robbing your affection for him. That's idolatry, and it's also mismanaging God's resources, his resources, because they're not ours. But we have to make that decision. Are we going to be an owner? Do we see them as our resources because I earned it, because my ability, my power achieved it? Or do we see ourselves as managers of something that God has blessed us with? Managers of even the oxygen that he gives us. Managers of our health and all of the, the blessings that he has given us. See, our blessings should remind us of God. 
should remind us of the goodness of God. It should remind us how good he has been to us, how he has provided for us. God blesses us to be a blessing to other people. He has blessed American Christians to be a blessing to other people because we, we have it so much better than people around the world. He blesses us to be a blessing to others, not hoard it all ourselves. Matthew 6, 19 through 20 tells us this. This is Jesus speaking. So these are his words. This is the Son of God talking directly to his, uh, his people. And he says this, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. You can write this down. Christians are responsible for investing in eternity. Christians are responsible for investing in eternity. God owns all things. He's provided all things for us. And then Jesus comes in and he serves as our financial advisor. And he says, I'm going to tell you what to invest in. Don't invest in the things. I'm not against you having a beautiful home to live in. I'm not against you having food on your table and being full. I'm not against you prospering and having nice things. But what I am against is you um, investing in those things, pursuing those things to the point where you can't be generous to the eternal things. Don't, don't invest in those. Don't, don't make that the pursuit of your life. Don't make that your heart's affection. Instead, where I want you to invest your money, where I want you to invest your time, where I want you to invest your prayers, your treasure is in the eternal. Because the things that you invest in on this earth, every, every bit of it will fall away. It will pass away. It will be counted as loss. My parents have had um, a house fire where they lost everything, wedding photos, everything. They had a kitchen fire where other things were smoke damaged. That, uh, we, we have had vehicles break down, motors blowing cars. Like we can invest in all of those things and those things are necessities, but we can go overboard as well. And they're counted as loss. They, 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 they pass away. Thieves can break in and steal. Moths will destroy and eat it away and rust will rot it away. Those things are poor investments. We invest in what is necessary, but he says, I want you to invest in that which is eternal, that which will not pass away. That's people's souls. That's people's souls. You won't take one material thing with you to heaven, but you can take as many souls as you can um, share the gospel with and that God enlightens and opens their eyes and draws to himself. But he does that through the power of the gospel. He does that through the preaching of his word. He does that through missionaries and local missions and through the local church. He does that through you. And so you can, you can invest in that all day long. And Jesus says there's going to be a reward there. That will not pass away. That, will, that cannot be stolen. That cannot be taken away. That's eternal. That's forever. And so obeying God in this matter, in this investment, is a matter of faith. Just as it requires faith to trust that Jesus' finished work on the cross is sufficient for the forgiveness of your sins and for your salvation, it is uh, equally requires the, the faith to manage and invest the resources that have been placed in your care in the way that God has instructed you to through Scripture. Why? Because money has a way of like, like well, this is mine. I earned this. See, that's ownership. 
but I worked hard for this. It, I, it took me this many hours to, to, to get this, and now there's all these things that I want and all these things that I need and all of these things. And so suddenly, because we put the time in, we put the effort in, we forget that God gave us the physical ability, God gave us the oxygen, God gave us the ability to do those things. He owns all things. Okay, God, what is my priority then when you have blessed me with these resources to be able to provide a home and to be able to provide food and vehicle and, and, and these other things? Where does that priority lie? And so he gives us these things and it requires faith that, okay, God, maybe in my eyes, this is just a little bit, but I'm going to be faithful out of that to be a good steward of that, to entrust that where you have called me to entrust it. Why? For the eternal souls for the eternal return, the eternal reward that won't pass away. And so I've got to trust that God, as I, as I give this where you've told me to give this, as I'm generous, as, I, as I'm faithful and being sacrificial in this um, finances that you've entrusted to me, that you're going to pay my bills, that you're going to provide what I need, that you're not going to let me fail, you're not going to let me fall under, that you're going to provide all of my needs because you provided this job for me. You provided the oxygen that I need. And so I'm going to have to trust and have faith in my money, just like I do my salvation. If we trust God with our eternity, why do we doubt him with our money? Like, do you, do you truly have assurance that when you die, that you're going to go to heaven? Or are you just going to hope once you get closer to that time, you're going to say a bunch of prayers and, and try to get right with God? Or have you placed your full faith and trust in what Christ did on your behalf? Why do we trust him with our eternity? Or we say we do, but then we can't trust him. We doubt him with a material thing. If God loves you enough to provide Jesus to, to take your place on the cross for your salvation, do you really think He's not going to take care of you. We see that in other places in Matthew where he talks about the, the birds and how he provides for the birds and how, how he clothes them. He provides for them. What it is is we're fearful we won't have all we want. We know that we'll have all we need, but there's so many things that we want. There's so many things that are shiny and so many things that we think are going to give us satisfaction and peace and joy and contentment. And so we doubt God will allow us to have that joy, will allow us to have that contentment, will allow us to have that enjoyment if we trust him in our money. Look at your treasure. Where are you investing? What are you building? That, that's something only you can do. See, that's, that's between you and God. That's, that's private. I don't know what you make. You, you, have to look at your, you have to look at your investments. You have to look at your bank account. You have to look at your expenditures. And you have to go, okay, God's blessed me at this level. What am I building out of what he's blessed me with? What am I investing in? I can't tell you that. That's why today there's no condemnation. We all have to look at ourselves. We all have to look where we're at before God and go, are we being good stewards with what God's blessed me with? Do I truly see that I am managing something that belongs to God, my creator and my authority, or do I see this as mine? Do I see this as something that I control and that I rule over? See, you doubt God with money and fail to be generous to build eternal things because you believe you're the owner. 
And that's why today, when, when, when I mismanage God's funds and when I place myself first, it's because I see myself as the owner. I, I don't pause and I don't stop and say, God, how do you want me to invest in this? How do you want me to take what you have blessed me with? It could be some extra money for a camp or a wedding or something like that. And oftentimes we look and go, oh great, extra money to do this, extra money to buy this. What I found later in life, it's kind of like my dad. I remember growing up and be like, what do I buy my dad? Like he works hard, he makes good money. He can just go buy whatever he wants. What do you buy a dad who can just go get what he wants when he wants it? God, God has allowed me to be in that position to where even where someone blesses me with money or I do a camp or something like that and it's extra and I go, what do I need? And I'll hold on to it. And yet, do I ever go, God, you've blessed me with this extra. You, you've, you've given me extra, so what do you expect out of this? Thank you. If I don't, if I don't need it, then what's my responsibility with it? What, what, what do you want me to do with this? Or am I holding on to it until I find that new shiny technology, that new shiny thing, that new toy, whatever that might be? What are you investing in? What are you building with your treasure? We doubt God with money because we see ourselves as the owner of our money and our possessions rather than the manager of God's money and possessions See, money gives us that God complex. It's something we can rule over until, you know, something breaks and we have to take it. And then that's why we get so depressed and we get so worried because now the air conditioner broke or now the vehicle broke down and, and I had control of my money and now something else is controlling it. And it throws our world into chaos because now our God complex has been kind of pushed up against. Maybe God allows that sometimes to go, look, you might think you're in control of your finances. You might think you're in control of your situation, but I'm going to show you in a moment, it's gone. Nikki and I years ago learned to have a, an emergency fund and it was gone at the, early, uh, at the first part of this year because our condenser unit on our house for our air conditioner went out. Uh, there it was, it was gone. So we can think, man, we're in control of our finances and nope, AC said, I'm in control of your finances. So it gives us this God complex until it doesn't give us a, a God complex. But that's why we, don't, we doubt God in our money. But see, if we see ourselves just as a manager, then what do I have to do? What does a financial advisor do? Sits down with you and goes, okay, here's a portfolio. Here's where you can invest. Here's, here's the different stocks. Here's the different mutual funds. And what does he do? He invests your money where? Where you tell him to. Why? Because you own the money. You own the, the stocks. You own the funds. So he, as a good financial manager, does what? Might give you some advice, but what is he going to do? He's going to do what you instruct him to do. And so if we're just a manager of something that belongs to God, then we have to look to his word, which is all truth. It's absolute truth and go, okay, God, what do you say about your resources and your finances that you have made me a manager over? that you have called me to steward and to care for. And it goes beyond our money, our possessions. It goes to our time. It goes to all sorts of things that are treasures. But see, people will say things like, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to give. But you will not find that in Scripture as a justification for owning a home beyond your needs, multiple vehicles beyond your needs, um, pets. Like we have a mini horse, which is a, a Great Dane, well beyond our needs. 
unlimited internet, cell phone service, entertainment, vacations, dinners out, name brand clothes, storage units full of stuff unused for years, and all of the unnecessary possessions that we use as an excuse to not be able to do and not be able to manage God's funds the way that he has told us to manage his funds, to be generous in the way that he's called us to be generous. We're, we're all guilty. There's no condemnation here because we can all look at the excess of our life and go, I've really not managed the resources that God has entrusted to me in the way that he's called me to entrust them, to, to manage them, to invest them. I could have done better here. I could have invested more here. But the reason we say we can't is because we took ownership of something that didn't belong to us. People go to prison if they do that, Bernie Madoff and all those people. And yet we do it with God all the time. And we continue to invest in things that fall apart, that rust destroys, that moth eats, that thieves break in and steal, and it amounts to nothing. And maybe it's because we're looking for happiness, or we're looking for peace, or we're looking for contentment. And yet we keep looking and we keep, we keep, we keep um, trying these things and buying these things and investing in these things. And yet we find peace and contentment when we invest in the eternal things where eventually God provides all of your needs and you go, you know what? I've got extra and I don't even need it. There's nothing tugging on my heart to go, go buy me. You need me. How do you get to that place of contentment? You trust God by investing where he tells you to invest, and by having faith in that, he brings a supernatural peace and contentment to your life where you go, I'm at peace. I'm content in Christ. I'm content with investing this portion of my money towards eternal things. The statistics are this, and I'm not saying this is any of y'all because this wouldn't match up with everyone. If you take the average uh, uh, in, uh, American income, in 2021, 80% of American Christians give 2% of their income to the church. That's about $87 a month based on the national average of income. During the Great Depression, one of the worst financial situations in our country, they gave 3.3%, which is still far less than what we see even in Scripture. But 30% is spent on housing. So out of the national average, that's about $1,300 a month. 14% on transportation, which is about $606 a month. And I think that's just talking about like your vehicle payments and things like that. Um, because the, that's about the average cost of a new vehicle uh, for what Americans are paying. And for a use, it's about 500 and something dollars. Storage units, get this, get, get this, storage units to store your stuff that you haven't seen in 10 years, that you, have, that you haven't even thought about a storage unit, just to keep it there because your garage is full, you can't park your vehicle in it, your house is full, and you're just overflowing with stuff. $89 a month. But yet, 80% of American Christians are given $87 a month to the church, and $89 a month to store stuff, and $243 a month in entertainment. Here's the reality of 87 people, that's counting our kids and our youth, and they don't make any money, college students. But let's just say we're running 250 people. If 250 people gave $87 a month, that's $261,000 a year. 
We make all of our finances available to you. If you look on the back of our church life program on newpassion.family or in your handout, you will see that our budget is $585,000 a year. That's the reality. So what does that mean? Equal giving. It's not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. That means God has blessed some people in such a way that they can give more than $87 a month, or they're giving more than $87 a month because they say, I can do well more than 2%. I've told you a couple weeks ago, my family and I, before we give to the government, because God is bigger than government, before we give to anything, we've committed at a starting baseline, I trust scripture, we tithe 10% of what you pay me as a pastor, and what I earn from chaplain work and any other work, off the top. I'm giving to God before I'm giving to government. We we give 10% of our income, and beyond that, things like Greater Things Campaign and other, uh, other missional opportunities, we give a sacrificial gift above and beyond that as God leads and as God directs us. So we're one that says, you know what, 2%, God's blessed us in such a way we can do far better than that. But some, that, 80, that $87 a month might be 11% of what you make. And so what that tells us is God's blessed people in such a way that they're giving more than that than the national average. They're, they're giving, they're sacrificially given, but it also tells us that there are some who are giving none. There are some who, th- their focus is on their kingdom. Their focus is on, oh, I got to provide this and I got to buy this. And, and yet your needs are far beyond provided for. And really what you've done is you've gotten into kingdom building. You've gotten into investing in the things of the earth Look at your treasure. What and whose kingdom are you building? We value, we value generosity at New Passion because God values generosity. He's called us to generosity. And he says, the more that I, I bless you, the more generous I want you to be. I don't have really time for the rest, but he goes on to say, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can fill in that blank and it's simply this, your money doesn't lie. Your money doesn't lie. We can speak spiritual, talk spiritual, say we love God, say we want to glorify God, say we want to worship God, all of these things. We can make a great public spectacle. We can say we love his church, his people. We can talk about building his kingdom, but our money doesn't lie. It is the evidence about who and what we love, value, and what we give glory to. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Whatever you love, you're going to give to it. Whatever you love, you're going to give to it. Look at your treasures. Look at your investments. It'll tell you what you love, but also what you want to love. If you give to it, if you want to love it, see, our sacrificial generosity shapes our affections. It'll shape the affections of your heart. When you're given something, you're going to be more tuned into it. You're going to be more invested in it. You're going to care about it a lot more. He goes on, and then I'm going to close simply verse 22 and 23. I'm going to skip, but you can read that. And essentially talking about whoever the master of your light is, is the light that will guide you. But Matthew 6, 24 says this, and this is what I'm going to close on. No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And you cannot serve both God and yourself. 
God desires your whole heart. God desires your whole heart. You cannot serve two masters. You will either see yourself, or you'll see God as master and owner, and you will see yourself as the steward, the manager of his resources, of his things. Or you will see yourself as owner, as master, and God will be beholden to your things. Okay, let me take care of this first. Let me provide for my needs first. Let me take care of my wants first. Okay, God, here you go. Here's what's left after I took care of myself, after I built my kingdom. That's saying I'm master. I'm owner. I'm Lord. I'm king. He wants your whole heart. And he said the evidence of where your heart is, is where you place your treasure, where you invest your treasure. Let us as a church, let us as followers of Jesus, let us as American Christians break the mold and let us be generous stewards, generous managers of all God blesses us with for the advancement of his kingdom through the gospel. Imagine if every one of us were good stewards of what he provided for us as individuals, as families, what he could do through this place for the sake of the gospel, because we're investing in eternal things. It takes faith. And it takes trust to release what we think we have control of and to say, okay, God, I'm entrusting it back to you because it all belongs to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this challenging truth, even in my own life and the times that I take my eyes off of your kingdom and I even put them on myself. And Lord, what I can achieve, what I can buy, what I can invest in myself. And Lord, oftentimes it's so easy to take our eyes off, as Moses said to the Israelites, we can have beautiful homes, we can have food on our table, you can allow us to prosper, and yet we can become self-focused, self-centered, selfish, thinking that we earned it and so we control it. God, may that not be. May that not be in my own life. God, help us all to have a heart that sees the eternal value in the souls of people, to see the eternal value in the local church. God, there will be people who are, who are sent away from here through military, job transfers, whatever it is. God, I pray that they're generous to whatever church you place them in. I pray beyond the local church that they're generous in things like we do, walk for water, water mission, providing clean water for people, that, that they're generous to missionaries, that they're generous to, to helping rescue sex trafficking victims, that God, they're generous well beyond the local church, but they would not neglect the vehicle that you have chosen to deliver the gospel to the world. So God, I don't know where each individual's at. I don't know what kingdom they're building. I don't know how they're managing your resources. But I just pray, Father, today, starting with myself, that we would be faithful to you, that where we place our treasure, it would declare that we love you, that we honor you, that we want to worship you with all of who we are. So speak to us as individuals. Change our hearts where they need to be changed and help us to be obedient so that we are more like your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.